please stand for the reading of God's word from the book of Exodus, chapter 19, uh, verses 1 through 6. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Well, good morning again and welcome. I'm Travis, I'm the pastor here. It's good to be with you this morning. We are continuing a series that we have been going through, bouncing around different books in Scripture called The Life of the Church, where we are focusing on trying to understand what is the church supposed to be about? What is the Christian life? Why are we here? Why do we gather together on Sundays at any other time in the week? What is this supposed to be? There are probably many different ideas, many different experiences that we have from culture, from our own life, but we want to look at from Scripture's perspective, what does it mean to be the church? How do we do that together? And there are many different pictures that Scripture gives us of what the church looks like. We could spend weeks and weeks doing that, but what we have been doing is using one particular picture that one author, a, a priest, Henry Nouwen, gives in his book, The Life of the Beloved, where he gives a picture of the Christian life and the life of the church by extension as communion, as the bread of communion in particular. The bread which is, he says, chosen, blessed, broken, and given. And he uses this picture to describe the Christian life, saying, as a Christian, I am called to become bread for the world, bread that is chosen, blessed, broken, and given. Likewise, our Christian life, our church, is to be something of a living sacrament, something that is given over for the life of the world. And so we've been working through this picture, this paradigm, uh, two weeks at a time, and we're now coming to the very last segment of this series, We've talked already about what it means to be chosen by God before we ever did anything that would make him want to choose us. We've talked about how God gives blessing that doesn't just recognize good things in us, but actually empowers us to have the good things that he promises to us. We've talked about how God works in and through our brokenness, not being overcome by those things, but letting those things give us much, much more than we might ever have apart from them. And today we are coming to talk about the fourth word of this paradigm, what it means for the church to be given. Given is the culmination of everything we've talked about in the six weeks prior to this. It's where, as Nowen says, our humanity actually comes to its fullest bloom. 
Because in the giving, it becomes clear that we are chosen, blessed, and broken so as to be given, to be shared. That's what all these things are leading up to, the being chosen, the being blessed, the being broken. These things are meant to be given out for others. That's where all this is going. So what does it mean then for the life of the church to be given, for us to be given over for one another, for the world itself? Well, we're going to talk about this in in very brief ways over these next two weeks. We could spend a lot more time on these things and probably will at some point, but we're going to focus through today, Exodus 19, at what it looks like to be given through three considerations, to see how the church is given as priests in verse 6 to see how we are given because of what we have received in verse 4, and how we live as the given through verse 5. So how the church is given as priests, as we're given as those who have received, because of what we have received, sorry, and how we live as the given. That's what we'll look at today. So before we get into that, I invite you to bow your heads and let's pray one more time. Ask God to fill up our hearts as we open his word. Father, thank you that you invite us to hear from you, that you speak as you commanded Moses to tell your people what you wanted to say to them, that there are things on your heart that you want to say to us this morning, that we have come in here from all different walks of life, from different experiences, from from lives that have grown long, from lives that are still beginning, but you know what you want to say to us what you want us to hear from you, what you want to tell us about ourselves that we don't know right now, what you want to say to us that we deeply need to hear, what you want to say to us that maybe we're not ready to hear, but you want to gently nudge our hearts forward into. Would you come by your power, Holy Spirit, this morning and do what only you can do, which is say to our hearts the words that you would delight to say to us. So would you come and speak now? Would you fill up our hearts that we might know that we have heard from you this morning and go out as your people who are given. In your name we pray, amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, feel free to have those open. If you don't, there should be one in the pew in front of you. We're gonna go back through the text a little bit together this morning, but we're gonna begin at the end, as some movies do, uh, although this will not have flashy pyrotechnics and that sort of thing, but we will sort of flash back from the end. Uh, What does it mean for the church to be given? God talks about the church as given in many different ways, and one of the concepts that he used is for us to be given as priests. Now, the word given doesn't appear in our text, but when we talk about the, the kingdom of priests, that's a concept that includes, that is essential to this idea of being given. God tells Moses to tell his people, verse 3, that, in verse 6, they shall be, shall be, a kingdom of priests. That's where giving comes into the picture, because to be a priest is to fundamentally be about the good of other people. Priests are fundamentally about the good of others, about the benefit of others. That's the job in the Bible. Maybe your experience with priests or pastors has been other than that, and I am sorry for that. But that is not the way that Scripture has it. The way that Scripture has it is the job of the priest is to be about other people, to be a person who is concerned with serving and giving to others. In particular, it's giving others closeness to, connection with God. 
reconnecting us with God, drawing us back to God after we have been distant from him. That is the job of the priest. That's what the sacrifices of atonement in the Old Testament were all about. That's what the priests were performing, drawing people back into the presence of God, erasing the distance that separated them through sacrifices of atonement that that took away the distance. The atonement was meant to bring back, to bring closeness. Priests were about bringing closeness to God. That was their work to bring you back into relationship, into communion with him. So to be a priest then is to be given for the reconnection, the benefit, the good of others, to draw others back to God. It is fundamentally about having an opportunity to give others something that they don't have, to reconnect, to renew their relationship. So saying to God's people that you shall be a kingdom of priests is saying you are going to be given for others. You will be my people and my people will be for others. You will not just be for yourselves. God's saying I didn't bring you out of the exodus. I didn't bring you out of slavery and oppression to just now be for yourselves, to circle the wagons, to close the doors, and to be comfortable. That is not what it will mean to be my people. What it will mean to be my people is to be for others, for the reconnection of the world around them back to God. Otherwise, it would be a very strange situation if they were a kingdom of priests only for themselves, if they never helped anyone externally reconnect to God. Imagine, maybe a little bit differently, a city where everyone is a doctor. Maybe that's not so hard to imagine in Boston. We have a lot of health professionals here. But imagine a city where no one does anything except being a medical doctor. That's all that you have in that city. No one does anything else. But imagine that they didn't care for anyone medically except the people that lived in that city. That anyone that traveled through, anyone that was next door, they didn't care for them. They only cared for one another. It would be strange to have a profession built around caring, but to not actually care. To not be geared towards, to not have a heart towards caring for others, particularly those you knew who didn't have any care available to them. So we would expect, just by their vocation, that there would be a desire to care for others who had no one to care for them. And similarly, we would expect the same thing here. That to be made a kingdom of priests where everyone does the same job. Everyone is a priest. And that's a bit of a word picture here because as Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy go on to show, that's not the case. There are different jobs. There were different roles within the community of faith. But that's the overarching picture God is saying that each and every one of those small things adds up to being this kingdom of priests, this people that is reconnecting people back to me. It would be strange if each and every person there only worked exclusively for that community, where there was no outward-facing component of it. To be a kingdom of priests, to be a kingdom that cares, is to fundamentally be a people that is looking beyond our walls. To be the church is to be fundamentally looking beyond our doors, beyond our walls, to see the empty seats that are here, and to imagine who is not here now to be thinking about how we might fill up this place, not for our own benefit, but for the benefit of others. To be priests is to be those who are given. 
And we know that this is, this is not just something that God gave to Israel and that passes away. Our, our tradition, the Reformed tradition, understands that the church, the New Testament church and beyond, is, is the, uh, the successor, we could say, the continuation, maybe better said, of the Old Testament people of God, of Israel. That the promises that God made there get filled up in Jesus Christ, not erased, but filled up, and those things are passed on as an inheritance to us that we enjoy now. So if the Old Testament people of God were to be a kingdom of priests, how much more now is the New Testament people of God to be a kingdom of priests, to be a people who are for others? If things only get greater in the New Testament, how much so should it be true that it is only greater in our hearts that we care for the people around us? The church, not just the Old Testament people of God, but all the people of God in continuity are given for the life of the world. This is our calling if we believe. This is our commission too if we believe. The church is specifically called to be given as a gift to others, as those who strive to draw others close to God. I want to talk for a second about what that means for us. That inevitably means that we are going to be involved in messy, difficult, broken situations. That is just what it looks like. There is no such thing as being a priest and not having a dirty job. There was that show a while back, I think Dirty Jobs with Mike Rowe or something like that, and he would just go and do the most foul, disgusting jobs that there were on the planet. Being priests is something like that. Being priests in the Old Testament was a messy, dirty, difficult job. Caring for the souls of others was a messy job because it involved the sacrifice of animals as a sign of atonement, as, as erasing that gap that existed, making amends for sin to be reconciled to God, and that required slaughtering animals day in and day out. Imagine a sea of people, each of whom are sinning all day, every day, and you are constantly making atonement for sins. The priests were covered in blood day in and day out. They did not smell good. They were more like butchers than professional white-collar workers. It was a smelly, dirty job. And more than that, the priests didn't just care for souls. They were also the doctors of their day in that community. They were meant to care for the body. And as I'm sure any of the doctors in here could tell us, dealing with the body is a messy, dirty, broken thing. So to be a priest, to be given to the world as a priest, is to find ourselves in the midst of a calling that will make us get dirty, that will have us stand in the middle of brokenness and messiness. That's the call. So if we are just about our own comfort here at CTK, if we are only doing what's comfortable for us while we're here, if you're only here when it's comfortable for you to do certain things, and you're out when it's not comfortable, If you only keep attending because you like the way we do the liturgy a certain way, because you like music a certain way, because you like the way I talk a certain way, you like whatever we do a certain way, you're only at these things because it's comfortable, that is not the call of the priest. Because the priest is fundamentally to be about others. So if you find yourself uncomfortable here, you might find yourself just getting a little bit closer to fulfilling that calling that the God of the universe has put on your life to be priest, 
to be uncomfortable, to be in the midst of messy things. If there are messy relationships here that you are a part of, you are not farther from the priesthood of God. You are probably closer to the priesthood of God. If our connections with people outside the church are messy and broken, you are not farther from being this given people of God. You are probably closer to being this given people of God. If our lives are neat and tidy, our church shows no brokenness, we have no difficult times that we go through, we are probably not living as the priests of God. The priesthood is a dirty, messy business. The church is meant to be a dirty, messy business. Not cleaned up, not whitewashed. That's glory. We're going there. God's taking you there, but that's not this time. That's not this place. If this place is messy and broken, hallelujah, because we are closer to who God is calling us to be. And I'm not saying that life is always a mess, that church life can always be a mess. We need a break. Even the priests got rotations. They weren't always on duty. You can't always be in something that's difficult. But if life is never messy, if the church is never difficult for you, if you are never challenged here, never challenged wherever you are, if you're just visiting here, not challenged at your home church, lean in to some challenge. Lean into some difficulty, some messiness, some brokenness. That's what we're called to. We're not called to be comfortable here and now. The question is just, is my life, is our life at CTK one that reflects awaiting into difficulty as God brings it, as one given over for others, or is it about my comfort? Is it about what I like best? To be honest, it's very difficult to answer that question. It's very difficult to live that messy life as one given over. And it's something that God is not expecting us to do on our own. It's something that we can only handle because of a gift that we have already received from God. God only gives the commission of verse 6 after he reminds them about what he's already done for them in verse 4. So let's jump back there as we move to our second consideration that we are given as priests because of what we have received in verse 4. Verse 4, God says, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. God's reminding them about all he had just done to bring them out of 400 years of slavery, genocide, and oppression just because they were a certain people group. Oppressed not for having done anything wrong, but just because they talked a certain way, looked a certain way, were from a certain place. He's saying, remember that I met you in that and that I brought you out of that. You're not being given as those who have no connection to the way that I care for people when they cry out to me. You are being given as those who have the deepest connection, who have seen me most intimately at work when people are in the trenches, when they are down and out, when they are suffering and beaten, oppressed. You have seen who I am for those people. I have been that guy to you. I have been priest to you in your darkest hour. I have ministered to you. I have heard you. I have taken care of you. I have shadowed you with my wings. I have borne you up on the heights. That is who I have been for you. That is who I am. You are not going as those who don't know what it looks like to have God as your priest. You are going as those who have had a front row seat 
to the priesthood of God in your life. They are uniquely positioned to be given to the world for its benefit as those who are standing under the shadow of the grace and mercy of God, as those who have received God as their own priest. It's as those who know what God's care looks like that they were given to help others, not as those who have to invent it on their own, who have to figure it out, who have to discern the signs, try and put some pieces together. They're not being sent in that way. God does not send you and I in that way. He does not expect us to go out and figure it out on our own. He simply expects us to share what we know, to share who you know God to be in your life, who you know him to be in the past for you, how he met you in those dark hours, how he's brought you out of difficult times, how he's brought you out of addiction, how he's brought you out of sin, how he's brought you out of brokenness and failure, how he's brought you out of anger and being harsh and stubborn with people, how he's brought you out of unfeeling and uncaring lives. All you have to do to be a priest in this world is to tell what you know about how God was priest to you. You don't have to invent it for yourself. We're just called to give out of what we receive. And as the church, that's what we're called to do, to share what we know. Not to make a deliverance of our own, but to give away what we have received. We get to be those who are just throwing out hordes of cash, right, that God has just put in our account. Grace upon grace, grace upon grace. We just pass along what we have received. God is not asking you to dig deep, figure it out on your own, and then go and lavish the world with your greatness. That's a lot of what our societal systems do and expect, that you go through some training, you learn some programming, you do a lot of reading, you figure it out for yourself, and then you throw that out to the world. God is saying, no, it's not dependent on you. I'm not asking you to get it right for yourself. I'm just asking you to share what you've seen me do. And we can do that in a way that the Old Testament church could not because we have seen a greater deliverance than they have seen. Because we know a greater priestly deliverance in Jesus Christ that would be not just for one people, but for all peoples. Not just for one oppressed situation, but for all the oppression that is outside of us and inside of us because of sin, a deliverance worked out not with the wrath of God expressed against humanity, but with the wrath of God expressed against himself and Jesus Christ on the cross, taking the wrath that was due for all that brokenness, all that oppression, and swallowing it himself to be that priest that would not just offer the sacrifice, but that would be the sacrifice that you and I, just by grace, by grace alone, through faith alone and nothing more, no works, nothing, that he would do it all to say, you are now reconciled to God. You are brought out of the house of slavery that is metaphorical Egypt and you are brought into the house of God to be his holy, beloved priests. We know a much greater deliverance that was not just for one moment in time, but for all time. Where Jesus Christ, that truer, greater high priest, the God-man, took the wrath of God upon himself to reconcile us back. Knowing this greater deliverance we have in Jesus, where God would not pour out wrath that we might be cast out, 
but that appropriately a God who loves and would not look the other way at sin, who would not pass over injustice, but who would meet it and somehow not see us destroyed, we know that God who by his own grace would suffer himself rather than see us walked away. It's that God that we get to talk about. The God who takes on brokenness himself rather than see us suffer, rather than make us do it ourselves. All the rest of the religions, all the other worldviews will make you do it for yourself. You have to put it on your back. Legalism and moralism, I have to be good enough. I have to put it on my back. The cross says, no, I have brought you out. There is nothing more for you to do. We get to sit in a vastly greater deliverance. We have received much more. Can we not give much more? We are all the more suited to be a priestly people for the world around us. But how do we live into that a little bit more? How do we take up what we have received and walk in it? The text suggests that it's by listening to God's voice. This gets into our final consideration. Verse 5 says, if you will indeed obey my voice, another way that you can translate that Hebrew word shema can mean also listen or hear. They're interchangeable ideas. To obey is to hear and to listen and to follow. It's by following the voice of God that these things will happen. He's saying, if you will listen to my voice, That's how you will be my priestly people. If you just listen to my voice, you will know me. It doesn't say if you figure it out on your own, if you do this 10-step program, but if you just follow me, that's all you have to do. Just do what I do. See how I do it. He's essentially saying, look, you listen to me to bring you out of slavery in Egypt, to deliver you from death and crushing burdens. All you have to do is what you've already been doing. I'm not asking you to do something new. I'm not asking you to take on a totally new paradigm. Just keep doing what you've been doing. In the same way God is calling you, in the same way that, that you trusted me to save you, just keep listening to me. Keep listening to what I have to tell you about the truth of who you are in me, about what this life is about. Just keep listening. You don't have to do something new to be given as the priesthood of God. You just have to keep doing what you've already been doing. Keep listening to him. Rely on what he gives you, particularly here in his word, where he has been abundantly clear although it's sometimes it takes some digging to get there, but he has not made any doubt about his love for his people, about his grace towards us, about his willingness to go the extra yard to save you and care for you, to return, to keep coming back, to listen to what he would say. And that might feel pretty intimidating. Like, do I now have to become this Bible giant? this extreme moral upstanding person in order to be a priest of God. I know all I have to do is listen and not obey and not invent, but it's really hard to listen and follow and I feel like that's just not me. I can't be the person that checks all those boxes. But what God has given us in his word is not just a list of rules, not just a plan to follow, and if you don't, you're done. 
He's done with you, you're out, that's it, it's over. No, as the rest of Exodus, the rest of Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy spell out, God's guidance, his specific direction for his people includes plans for their repentance and restoration. What you have to listen to is God's plan for when things go wrong. After you've sinned, God still has plans. He still means to draw you in, even for his priests. God's word, his word expects us to fail. The standard of scripture is not that you would be perfect and have to save yourself. If that was the case, Jesus would not have come. He came knowing that we would fail. Scripture is predicated on the idea that you cannot do it in yourself. To listen to him is not to have to become perfect. It is to have to start doing things his way. It is not to be perfect. It is not to somehow be this flawless creature. It's to follow his ways for dealing with your brokenness. Not your own. That's the difference. It's not that I can't be broken. It's what do I do with my brokenness? How do I reconcile things? To listen to him means relying on his ways, not your own. And that is maybe the most countercultural thing that we could say to our secular Western society, that it is not your own way that will fix it. That is like nails on the chalkboard of Western society. How dare you tell me what to do with my life? God is saying, okay, do what you want. But it's not going to go like you think. It's going to cost more than you want to spend, and it's going to give you less than you hope to have. It's not that we can't be perfect. Or it's not that we have to be perfect, I'm sorry. And it's, it's certainly not that choosing our own way is going to let us get everything we want. It's just that we listen to God and do it on his terms for what he knows will bring us home as the God who would take on such a burden to save us. Look back at the cross and see, is God trying to get something from you? He is trying to give something to you. We give as priests, as the people of God, out of what we have received. We have to hammer into our souls again and again and again by the gentle grace of the Holy Spirit that God is not trying to take something from you. He is not out to steal your joy. He is not out to cut short your life. He is trying to give you something that you cannot see on your own. All we have to do is listen. And it's a miracle to do that because the Holy Spirit actually has to change our hearts so that we will listen, so that we can receive it. So even if you feel like, yeah, I can't do that on my own, God's like, I got you. I give you my Holy Spirit because it is not at any point in your life ever just on you to be the people of God. The hard part about being the priestly people of God is not being perfect. The hard part is letting go of trying to make things happen your way for your comfort. That's the hard part. We don't have to be perfect. I want you to hear that very clearly. You don't have to be perfect to be at CTK. You don't have to dress a certain way. You don't have to have a certain alphabet soup behind your name. You don't have to go to a certain school. I didn't go to those schools. I'll tell you right now. I didn't even apply, right? Harvard? No. Couldn't be. If you didn't go there, there's a place for you here, okay? I just want you to know that, right? You don't have to do certain things. All we have to do 
is to be open to where God would lead us. Just listen as priests. That's how we live into this calling, just by trusting, just by listening. Keep doing what we have been doing. It's all on Him. He is not expecting us somehow now to pick things up and run with them on our own. There's a, a ton of things we could get into on, on what that looks like uh, in our neighborhoods, in our families, in our church, in our schools and workplaces, in our friend groups. But I just want to uh, tease out a couple practical things that I hope will fit in some way into each of those things as we come to a close here. I want to encourage us this week to do two things, to live into this being the given people of God, and that's to get messy. Kids, you might enjoy hearing that. I want to give you express permission to get messy. Kids, you're going to have to teach your parents, the grown-ups around you, how do you get messy? You're the experts. You know what getting messy looks like. When we grow up, we think, mm, messy, no. But God says, mm, messy, yes. We need to learn how to get messy, and we need to listen to God in the mess. So get messy. What's one way that you could personally lean into the mess of our lives or our world or your church, our church, this week? Even if it's starting to think about or just identify a way that I could be a little uncomfortable here, a way that I could serve in a way that I'm not serving right now, that I could make a friendship that I've not been wanting to make, that I could make an association, that I could make an effort. Ask around if you don't know. Ask the diaconate. Our diaconate is on the forefront of caring for others in our community, of caring for the physical, felt, material needs within our church and outside our church. Ask about how you could help support their work. Join the building crew, which will help free up the diaconate to focus more on the work of caring for the felt needs of our community. Similarly, provide care or relief for those who are maybe already more connected to difficulty right now to those who might be a little more on the front lines than you are in interacting with a difficult situation where grace is needed, do things to support them, babysit for them, bring a meal to them, hang out with them, do something that will energize them as they go to the front lines. It doesn't have to be each of us on the front lines at all times. Be part of a team effort. Support one another. Support the leadership as we walk through a difficult time. It's not to make church life a new thing to achieve by saying that we have to do all this, but it is to make us ask, am I staying out of the mess? Where am I staying out of the mess? Where am I just spotless? Where could I be okay with getting a little bit dirty? I know that's going to be hard for us, right? It will be challenging for me too. As a little kid, my parents are here. They could attest to this. When I played Little League Baseball, I did not want to get my uniform dirty. No. No, no, no. I didn't want to slide. I didn't want to do any of that. I wanted to keep it clean. I don't know why, but I didn't want to. It was difficult for me to adjust to that. Similarly, it might be difficult for each of us to adjust to getting messy, to getting the uniform of the Christian a little bit messy in being involved in the lives of others. So I'm going to invite you to think about that this week. Where can I get the uniform a little bit messy? And to listen, secondly, to God in the mess. Go back to Scripture when you're in those difficult situations, when you're in a, a tense situation at work, at school, in your family relationships. What does God's Word have to bring to bear on that situation? It may be that we need to put up a little bit of space, a little bit of boundaries, and we have to take some time and regroup and come back to that. 
Where does God's word call you to greater hope in that situation where we've dismissed it as hopeless? Where does it maybe call us to some greater humility where we have been pretty prideful? Or at least subtly prideful. Where does it call us to greater kindness or generosity when we don't want to give a second chance? When we don't want to give any more help, when we are tired of caring? Where does it call us to greater patience with people changing when it takes us so long to change? Where is God calling us to have more long-suffering? Don't charge off into the mess of our lives and our world without God. God wasn't sending his people out to be this priestly people without him. He was meant to be in the center of them at all times. Wherever they went, he was going to be going with them. Likewise, wherever we go, God is going to be going with us by his Holy Spirit. Why not take him more actively in our focus with him, with us? Go back to the word. Come back to these things, to who God is. Dig into the Psalms to see the expression of what it looks like to struggle in front of God. Dig into these things with one another. Let each other speak scripture to ourselves that we might hear the voice of God through one another. We go as the priests of God, not with our power, but with his power, his grace, his reconciliation. So keep him close so that it's him you're sharing. Let's pray. We'd like to leave a few moments to let you talk to God about what we've just talked about to consider some of the ways that maybe you might thank him for interceding for you as your priest, the ways that he has loved you like that, that he has stepped into your mess. Maybe confess the ways that really you just want to do it your way, that you don't want to have to listen, you don't want to have to care. You just want it your way. Or maybe ask him just to help you with that. Say, God, I don't have any desire to do this. Would you give me that desire? Would you change my heart? Would you help me be someone who can live a life given over? Let's pray. God, thank you that you step into our mess. Would you give us the power to wade into the messiness of our world with your grace and goodness. In your name we pray, amen.